Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday morning. Right after Tishabov, I was too wiped out to talk last night. Otherwise, I would have tried to catch the Israel crowd. Um, but I spoke, I think, seven hours yesterday altogether in Tishabov, and I'm Oiska speech. I really shouldn't even be doing this now, but I'll just try to be faithful to the Parsha. And um, happy to say that we got a sponsor for this for a, a couple of my very good friend, Dr. Ed Leventhal doing this uh, uh, pretty yard site of his father, uh, Herschel Menmira Levy. And uh, I never knew him, but what Ed told me, this is just very interesting. This is the generation of the kids that came up through the uh, Depression in America. I don't think most of us today, 21st century, have any idea, and I hope we never do, but what it's like to grow up in a, de- in a Depression when there was no money. And uh, he's one of those kids that had to quit school, you know, eighth grade or something like that and go out and work. Uh, this is a, a, a world, I think, I hope most of us are familiar with, and that generation had it tough. They didn't have a perfect family situation. That generation had it tough, but you know something? I, I mean, I know that generation. I know people from there. Uh, the best of them said, we're going to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, as the expression goes, and uh, we'll make a living, and he did, a salesman, they got married, had a family, and uh, happily married, and uh, it's, it's just interesting, you know, uh, sometimes people are scarred by early experiences, and it messes up the rest of their lives. Other people respond to the difficulties early in life by saying, I'm not going to make this mistake, my, my kids, my family's going to be better, and they do, I know many people like that, it's uh, just very interesting. Anyway, it's that memory, we thank... Uh, Dr. Leventhal for the sponsorship, and uh, all the sponsors uh, who I hope step forward. And without any further ado, uh, it's Parshas Veschanon, it's going to be uh, Shabbos, uh, what do you call it, Shabbos Nachmu. Everybody gets engaged. <laughs> I got married in Tuba, by the way, so we had a Shabbos call Shabbos Nachmu. Anyway, Veschanon uh, is very interesting, but i tell you the truth, our mom is wiped out from, from Tishov, so I'm not going to be that long. Uh, but who knows, maybe I will. Let me get right into it. It's very interesting, the whole book of Dvarim, and Veschan in particular, because we always have this problem, an existential problem, is this Moshe talking and this God talking? Now, this is a fundamental issue. You know, it says, Ela Moshe, Moshe, this is Moshe talking. And it sounds like it, because it's all full of his emotions, right? On the other hand, you say, for theological reasons, if you want to be like Maimonides, is every word in the Torah is dictated by God to Moshe. Not everybody in the world holds that way, but that's the mainline uh, position, the firm position. And uh, so, okay. So then you're left with what you call a, a scholastic problem. Uh, you have a thesis, antithesis. You have to come up with a synthesis. So you say, in the one hand, Moshe said it. In the other hand, it's in, uh, Hashem said it. So the usual way you would get around that is give what you call 
dialectical answer, and you say like this. These are Moshe's words, but then Hashem dictated what exactly to say, and because Hashem then told Moshe, write down these words, Ela, and then write for him, and Asher, Diber, Moshe. Since Hashem is the one who said in the end what exactly to say, so he picked among the words of Moshe, you know, something like that, and that makes it uh, divine, and therefore is endowed with the status of Sefer Torah, etc. That's the usual way you understand it. You know, the Vilna going and others, that's what, that's what they all say. Which, as I say before, from a dialectical perspective, makes sense. You have a kasha, you give a terrace. That's how it goes. Um, but, and, and let it be. The interesting thing, though, is, having said that, you still get, in Dvarim, even if you go with that shita, which is the from shita, you, you still get in Dvarim the human element. That's my point. Now, here you feel Moshe's emotions. The emotions of Moshe Rabbeinu. Refracted through a divine editing process. Okay. But it's Moshe's uh, feelings. And uh, it's very interesting. And there are many chazals that go along these lines. For example, Moshe says at the beginning that I beg God after you guys messed me up with the Meraglam, let me go into Israel. You know, and then that's the pathetic first part of Pasha. We all know that story. And Moshe's begging. I think I mentioned last week there's a safer as a voice Hanon in Gematria, 500 and something, from the Megala Mukas, he offers 500 prayers that Moshe offered. You know, in other words, 500 arguments that Moshe could advance uh, to, to uh, make the case that he should be permitted to enter Eretz role. And indeed, from our perspective, the fact that Moshe did not lead the Jews in Israel is, is a tragedy of literally historic proportions because uh, Yoshua was not Moshe, and Yoshua couldn't get the Jews to do what was necessary, which was to completely expel all those who were not Jewish from the Eretz Yisrael, from Canaan. And because of that, you had uh, gigantic consequences that the Jews were influenced by the Canaanites, and so on and so forth. And the rest of the Old Testament is full of idolatry among the children of Israel. <laughs> you know, that's called Yeshua Shoftim, Shmo Malachim, etc. You know, the Nevi'im. We all know this. So, Vashanon is very pathetic. Moshe is saying, I begged, I rolled in the ground. Mishanein, you know, you beg and you and it's hispael, you know. So I really uh, uh, cried out, and God said no. That's the story. Obviously, everybody knows that. And the medrash later on in the speech of Moshe, later in Varim, Moshe below Nosan Hashem lechem levlatas veinaim leroth vaznaim lishmada yomazeh, which means the Moshe was complaining for eschanol. It's not v'nischanol. I begged to be allowed to get in Israel. You didn't beg for me. You know, say Moshe is very bitter. Um, when I was uh, trying to get in back into Israel, uh, nobody said anything. They heard the decree: Moses will die in the desert, and they said, "What a bummer!" Well, what's for breakfast? <laughs> I mean, you know, what's, what's playing in the movies tonight? Uh, that's terrible. Uh, why didn't they say, "Oy vey, Shalom, We all beg you on our knees to let Moshe Rabbeinu. In, don't we have now, you get on the internet, somebody's sick, everybody should daven for them, and so on and so forth. Here's Mamish, worse than that. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu of all people. And they're saying, you are doomed and you're going to die, and so on and so forth. And why didn't everybody put in their davening every day, you know, in Shema Kolein or something like that, you know, reverse the decree and let Moshe in. I need Moshe. And that's what people should have said, like a Muslim, you know, I need Moshe in there. If I want my kids to stay from 
I need motion there. Help out for me. And so forth and so on. And nobody did that. And from here you learn, you know, the famous uh, saying, uh, what Truman said it, he said, if you, in politics, you want a friend, get a dog. <laughs> Don't expect the public to be grateful. Because even though Moshe bent over backwards and helped them right and left, they didn't, they didn't reply. And these are the words in the Medish in the Dvarm somewhere over there, where he says, that Pasuk has nine Lishma, where Moshe says, Echad yochel hatzel shishim riba, v'shishim riba any yochel hatzel echad. No, it's I daven on your behalf, I daven my head off, right? That's the story of the golden calf and of the Meraglim. I daven my head off. And Hashem even told me, leave me alone, and I didn't leave him alone. And I was successful in the end, and I saved your hides, all of you. So no, you're trying to tell me that if 600,000 people daven on behalf of one person, it wouldn't have worked? If you really would have thrown yourself into it? LMI, you didn't want to throw yourself into it. So it's, it's a certain bitter, you understand? And my point is like this. So Bo'es Hanon is a text of ingratitude. It's an ingratitude. And in the Jewish religion, all religions, but certainly Jewish religion, by us, Hakar Satov and the condemnation of Kofri Tov is a big deal. And the, if you know anything about the Musar literature, it's a big deal. Kofri Tov, Hakar Tov, that's a sign of something. And uh, if I remember correctly, the Chobos Alavos, which I haven't seen in years, has a whole section on, on Hakar Satov and Kofri Tov. And uh, here's, here's a, 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 an egregious a breach of that. Now, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. That's very emotional and totally understandable. And God included it in the Bible because this whole business is a, is a, is a Chazal. It's a Chazal. So it's from Hashem. It's a Medrash. And, um, you know, Toshel Apep. And so this is implied or contained within these words. And so you're getting Vaschanan, not simply a recording of uh, events. You know, Moshe is simply saying, I want you to know that I prayed on God's behalf, on my behalf. And God said, no, it's very emotional. And it's included in the Chumash. So hold that thought with this theme of gratitude versus ingratitude. And I'll tell you what hit me when I was thinking about it. In this show, you have the Ten Commandments. As we all know, the Sarasa difference comes in two places. Once in Shemos and once here in Parshish Vizchanan. Correct? Tomorrow we're going to read the Sarasa difference again. Now everybody knows that the two texts are not 100% identical. Right? There are differences. The most classic difference, of course, is Zachar Vashamar. It's not the only one. There are others. I think in the past, I must have spoken, I must have mentioned this. Lo Sachma versus Lo Tisaveh. You know, in the first Ten Commandments in Shemos, it says Lo Sachma and so forth. And here it says, Lotis Ave, don't have a tie And uh, it's very interesting because Lotis Ave is interpreted by Chazal in, the, in, the, in Baba Kaman in the Shulchan Aruch. So you're not even allowed to um, want what someone else has in the sense of going and asking them to have it. Uh, I, I must have mentioned this. I'm not going to repeat. You know, I'm not allowed to go over to you and say like this, I would like to buy your car. I'll make a good a good offer for it. Now, if you put the car for sale, it's a different story, but if you didn't, you understand? Or more practically, I'd like to buy your house and let me give you a good price. If I didn't say I want to sell the house, you don't have the right to go and pressure me and even suggest to me that I should sell you the house. That's low tis of it. Look it up, you'll see. Now, uh, but I want to shift back. Zachar uh, Shomer. This is extremely interesting. I'll tell you what I mean. Think, think, this is where I'm coming from. Think along the following lines. It's not simply... As we all know, then in one place in Shmos it says Zohar, and the other place it says Shomar. Think along the following lines. 
Zohar in, in Shemos, that's God talking. Right? Who wrote Shemos? We say Hashem dictated the book of Shemos. Now, that's, so the original Ten Commandments, that's straight, you know, unmediated from God. Now let's talk about Vashanan. Whose words are these in the Ten Commandments in Vashanan? They're Moshe Rabbeinu's words, refra- again, ref- refracted through divine editing. So, Moshe didn't say Zohar when he sang this over. He said Shomar. So, what it means to me is that by Moshe, you know, the thing that hit him, especially in the context of Voschanon, meaning he's giving a speech about gratitude and ingratitude, and what does he emphasize? This is fascinating. What does he emphasize when he gets to Shabbos, which is a fundamental? He doesn't say, keep Shabbos so you remember God rested in, in, on the seventh day. That's a theological reason for keeping the Sabbath. Right? That you should know that you believe in God, who created the whole world, and in six days, and then rested on the seventh day, of course, etc., etc. That's what you call hashkafa thing, a theology matter. That when I, the Jew... Uh, you know, refrain from working on Shabbos and all the rest, I'm making a, a theology statement, which is indeed why, in the Jewish religion, we've always considered Shabbos an Iker of Ikram, right? Definition of a religious Jew is a Shabbos Shabbos. Yes or no? Are you Shabbos Shabbos? Because you're making a powerful, you know, religious theology statement about um, the, the, the world coming from one God. On the other hand, as you obviously must know, when you look at the Ten Commandments in Parshas Vizchanan, he gives a different reason. He says, Shomer, first of all, he doesn't say Zohar, he says Shomer, but it's not, the, the, it's not, I'm not talking about the, the difference in the individual word, whether it's Zohar or Shomer. But what's the reason for Shabbos, okay? That's the question. What's the reason for Shabbos? And of course he says to remember you were slaves in Egypt and, no, and you're no longer slaves in Egypt, Correct. You should rest on the seventh day, you and your animals and all the rest of it, so that you will remember that you were once upon a time were slaves. This is the reason for Shabbos. Which is a pretty direct statement, you know. I know we say Zohar Basham Bedibar Echad, but nevertheless, you know, the text doesn't sound like that. What I mean by that is, Moshe being very directly, Al Kain Tzivachashem Al Kechol Shabbos. This is the reason. You know, why doesn't Moshe say like this? This is one of the many reasons, my friends. <laughs> you know, like one of these books that you see now, you know, Tommy Amitz is all the rest of Why Shabbos? Oh, Shabbos could be for this, and Shabbos could be for that. It also promotes social relations, you know. There are many good reasons. I bet you if you look you know, in the Chinuch and those kind of places, you'll find many, uh, or Samson Raphael Hirsch, many classic defenses of the beauty of the Sabbath. But Moshe is emphasizing one thing. Al-Kain, Hashem Yom The reason, you know, Al-Kain, the reason, is because of slavery. That's just very interesting that Moshe, in the 40th years of the desert, that's where he's about to die, he's emphasizing this in his speech. Because he knew that there was also Zohar, right? I mean, he knew that, and he knew it's in the book of Shmos. I mean, for crying out loud, he was at Harsinah. So, why is he emphasizing this? That's just a good question, isn't it? Why is he emphasizing this? I didn't look this up, but I mean, this is what speaks to me, especially this week. Moshe is emphasizing the gratitude. Get it? It's the gratitude. 
What is the reason for keeping Shabbos? You once were slaves and you're not slaves now. You should thank God for that. Now you're the next generation. You're the young guys. Your parents all died. So it may be a problem with you because you're born in, um, in Liberty. But it's not, it, a Nishkin Klanikite. You understand? So it's like someone would say today, you know, your parents went through the war, they were in concentration camps. You should be glad you're in America. You should be glad you're in Israel. Don't take it for granted. You know, that kind of thing. And therefore, every week, when you keep Shabbos, right? When you do Shmir Shabbos, think of the gratitude angle. Meaning, Baruch Hashem, I'm able to rest. A slave is not able to rest. Baruch Hashem, you know, I'm not under anybody's uh, control that they make me work on seventh day, uh, on Saturday, and so forth and so on. You know, Derek Agav, I'm doing a, um, right now in the middle of doing my lecture series, videos on uh, the Jews and the Lithuanians. There's seven parts, and I've done six so far, I have one more to go. I just, and um, the last one, which I put out yesterday on Tisha B'Av, what I pre-recorded was uh, about the show, the Holocaust in Lithuania. And just Derek Agav, so I pulled out the Mimamakim, you know, from Rabbi Ashri, where he has all these shalos from the Covenant Ghetto. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, those several volumes. And the questions are always very interesting. These are the terrible conditions they lived in under the Nazis in the Ghetto of Kovna. And one, I just happened to do it at random, that's why I put it up on the screen, because there are hundreds of these shilas. And one was very interesting, and that was, uh, he was asked by a from Jew, should I make a brach in the morning? Shalom, sunny of it. I am an avid by the by the Germans. Many of you who are listening may know or may not know what I'm talking about, but those Jews who were not shot right away at the beginning of the war in Lithuania, in the first several months of the war, when they shot ninety percent, whatever, 90 percent of the Jews in Lithuania, shot them. The survivors were put for avodas perich, including my father. I mean, they literally worked like in Egypt, you know. You can, you know, go Google it and you'll see the gruesome details if you're interested. You know, carrying heavy things, that can be terrible burdens, just like in Egypt. So the guy said, Should I make a brach in the morning? And uh, that's because he was a slave. There's no Shabbos by the Germans. There's no nothing. You literally work your head off from early in the morning to late at night. And if you drop that on the way, good. And uh, now Rabbi Ashri said, oh, you should still continue to say Shalos Aniyavid because like the note of Yehuda says in his Haggadah, or uh, it's not an Haggadah, in the Tzlach, you know, uh, what do you call it? Avdis is a, is a physical, it's also a mental. You understand? B'nei Choron is a, is a state of mind. So uh, after Pesach, the Jews no longer were, had a state of mind of an Evid. And similarly, you, in World War II, you're stuck with a racist Nazi regime. It's a force majeure. Uh, you have to do what you do to stay alive. It's terrible what you're going through, but you're not an avid. You understand? It's like a kidnap victim, so to speak. It's a crime victim. Not the same thing as an avid. Avid is a, is a legal state. Avid is a state of mind and, and a sense of legal identity. You know, like in old days in Israel, there's avid, can I be avid? A guy's an avid, he's an avid. He is an avid. You're not an avid. You're, you're just being uh, held down by criminal regime. Which is just interesting. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu is coming out of Jews who were legally slaves. During the whole time they were in Egypt, now they were freed after Pesach, as we know. And so he's saying that when you keep Shabbos, the Iker of the Shabbos rest is um, 
you sit back when Shabbos not rest. Remember, we're talking about the derises over here. There are no drabonas at that time. So Shabbos has a different character if you deprive all the drabonas. Just think about what I just said. <laughs> like, if you're going strictly by derisa, there's a lot of things and even work. A lot of types of work you can do in Shabbos. The 39 malachas, maybe not. But there's a lot of other kind of work uh, that you can do. And, um, but the fundamental idea is that uh, you don't have to. The fundamental idea is you're supposed to basically, Laman Yanuach, right? That's the expression. So, um, that's the idea behind Shabbos. So it's anti-slavery vort, or post-slavery vort. That's just very interesting that Moshe would emphasize that fact. Why doesn't he say, oh no, it's because of Zohar, um, you know, that uh, remember God created the world. After all, you cannot say that the Jews that Moshe was addressing had zero theological problems. I mean, they did Balpur uh, uh, a short time before that. They were about to enter the land of Canaan, which is the land of the multiplicity of uh, idols. And idols is simply sticks and stones. It's a whole hashkafa. In which you look at a polytheism, you know, you see the world coming from many different um, sources. The world coming from many different sources. By the way, it's a very defensible argument. I'm not out to go convert you all <laughs> to idolatry, but I could if I wanted to. Uh, here, Moshe doesn't say that. He emphasizes, as I said before, the slavery, post-slavery thing. You know what it says to me? Moshe is in a gratitude versus ingratitude mode when he speaks about this. And I'll say again, you look at this farm, gratitude and ingratitude is a biggie. It's not just a little mida here or there. We consider this a super important uh, uh, mida. Uh, now, most of the thing like this, I beg to be letting Israel, nobody had any gratitude to pray for me. When you keep Shabbos, as I am telling you you should do, when you get to the land of Israel, uh, when you keep Shabbos, have some gratitude for the fact that you're not slaves. In other words, let the Hakar Satov govern your whole attitude towards Shabbos. This is very, very interesting. And the reason I say very interesting is, here he's transcending a legalistic uh, approach and saying, listen, uh, God gave me a whole bunch of instructions to give you guys. And here are the instructions. There's 613 of them, or however many. And you better keep these or else you'll burn in hell, you know? Uh, you, you, to, I want you every day to punch the clock and perform all these mitzvahs and, and, and avoid all these prohibitions. He doesn't talk that talk. Instead, most are pretty passionate over here. And he's saying, you need things like gratitude and other passionate emotions. Otherwise, the Jewish religion is not, it, not going to work. You've got to feel. You understand? If, if I tell somebody, keep Shabbos for theology, mm, I mean, maybe if you're a philosopher type, you know, that moves you all the rest of it. The other person is like this, you know, what do I need all this for? After all, <laughs> after all, uh, you know, from the classic Middle Ages thing, I don't need to keep Shabbos. I just remember that God created the world. I put up a big sign in front of my house. Do not forget that God created the world in six days and rest on the seventh. And shine, what do I need to keep all the 39 malachas, all the rest of it? You know, the classic argument of a philosophical point of view against the, the mitzvah we call Tamea mitzvahs. Samson Raphael Hirsch addresses it, the Rambam and the Marnevuchim address it, and others. You know, what do you, what do you need all this for? If it's just to bring out a theological truth, there, you know, there are ways of doing it in from an intellectual perspective without having all these rituals and practices. Masha and Kate, if you say it's a gratitude vort, 
gratitude is not something that you can just understand uh, intellectually. Uh, you can, but not really. Gratitude has to have an emotional component to it. Would you agree with what I just said? Gratitude or ingratitude involves a heavy dose of emotion. If I have gratitude towards you, that's a, it's a human being thing. You understand? It's a human being uh, basic emotion. Maybe we realize it. Maybe we don't realize it. But it's a very important component of the human psyche. And it's actually difficult for somebody to completely bury gratitude. It can be done, but it's not so easy. I'll give you an example. Hitler, when he came to power, he found the two or three Jews that treated him well, and he sent him out of the country. You know that? Maybe Did I mention this before? The guy who was his mother's doctor, and the guy who was with him in the trenches, and so forth. So when Hitler came to power, he told the SS, here are three or four names, or you know, a few names, and uh, protect these people, and they actually helped him get out of Germany. Now, uh, Hitler hated all the Jews. You know something? But it's a, it's, it's a basic part of your DNA uh, that uh, can be transcended, but usually not. You're just grateful somebody did something for you. It's emotion. You understand? It's not a reason. Because from the point of view of reason, if you hold like Hitler, that all the Jews are terrible, even your best friend, should, you should kill him. Even if somebody saved your life, you should kill him. Because you're going totally by reason. But person isn't totally by reason. See, so here you have keeping Shabbos, not from a logical or theological perspective, but from a Hakar Sato perspective. Avadim Hayisem Beretz Mitzrayim. You know, Bayotzi Achashem. This is Shabbos on the emotional level. And you want to know something? Emotion is something that I noticed uh, that Moshe's call for emotional commitment. Uh, it's something I, you see over and over again, in my opinion, in Voyeshanan. I'll give you an example. That's in this week's parish also. Then Moshe says, Ki what does that mean? Literally, it means those who worship Baal Poor perish, and you who clung to the Lord survive. No, but it didn't say it like this. It doesn't say that. Moshe calls for Dvekas. It's interesting. Dvekas involves passion. Agreed? He, you know, I'll say it again. Moshe didn't say Atem. He chooses the interesting word, you who cling to the Lord. And we have a huge literature on Dvekas. And uh, the, the command of Dvekas is, is a bunch of times repeated in the Chumash. And, you know, by the time you get down to the intelligent treatment of the subject, which leads you to, as I mentioned before, I'm sure um, there's no question I must have done this before. Leads you A to the Rambam and B to Litzato to the to the Masil Sharm. You understand? Uh, when you go to this, you're talking about a very heavy uh, emotional connection, a very heavy emotional investment. Uh, because literally, you're talking about thinking about God twenty four seven to to the degree that you're able to do that, right? To the degree you're able to do that, the Rambam says it's impossible, but you have to give it your best shot. If not twenty four seven close to that, you know, as much of that as humanly possible. Because the Rambam says in the Murnavuchim that it's not really possible uh, to go through your daily activities and think about God at the same time. Uh, it's too much of a, of a virtuoso act. 
you know, if I'm a doctor, I'm treating patients, and while I'm treating patients, I'm thinking about God, or, uh, you know, I'm driving a tractor or something like that. You know, work that requires mental commitment. Now, uh, busy work, mindless work, you can think about God all day long. That's why your shepherds of old could be um, thinkers about God, like uh, David Melch, because the shepherd, provided there's no wolves running around, they're just sitting, you know, you're just sitting there all day long with the sheep. But it doesn't require a heavy, uh, you know, mental uh, commitment. But if you're trying to discover a theory of relativity, it's hard to do that and think about God at the same time. That's more or less the approach in the Rambam. Only Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, had that uh, f- faculty. Uh, and he, that was because he was granted by God the ability not to eat or drink for 40 days. Uh, the Rambam discusses that. And um, the Ramchal, the Lutzato, in the part Kedusha, in Silsham, says, mystically it can be done. He said, I agree with the Rambam. I'm paraphrasing. I agree with the Rambam that it's more or less physically impossible. But it's an act of grace. I think that's the language he uses. If you give it your best shot, God will enable you to do things that, that usually from a human being are not generally possible. So in this week's parsha, Hashem Hadvekim Hashem Hukhaim Chamayim, Moshe called for Dvekim. That's emotional. That's like Shamrus Yom HaShabbos. That calls not for intellectual, but intellectual combined with emotional. Now listen closely. This is really cool. I said before, it's, it's, it's emotional combined with the intellectual. If you just have the emotional, you understand? Know and there's no intellectual, as technished also, because then you'll be led by whatever catches your fancy. These are a lot of people today, you know, they catch the latest uh, fade, uh, fad or phase, even in from world, you know, uh, very, very common in from world. And they'll pick up some idea and they'll roam with it very passionately and they're just wrong, right? And what's really great is the Rambab uses the other puzzle from Vaschanan in the Mornavuchim, uh, to sort of back up the idea that what's necessary is a passion uh, allied to intellectual. Now what does that mean? I'll tell you what the Ramah says he means. If you, the Jew, want to do it right, you have to first deploy the intellectual, and then after that, then you, then, then you deploy the emotional. What do I mean? First, you have to understand... Now, I'll read you a short passage. This is actually a para- paraphrase, but it's a very good paraphrase. Da, this is from the Rambam. Da ki Bashem Thinking about God, clinging to Him mentally, by thinking exclusively about God, That's the highest goal of man. Zui avodas Hashem ha'amitis. That's the true avodas Hashem. Ulam... Now listen closely. But you can't put in any passionate emotional commitment until you have defined God. <laughs> if you try to worship Hashem or serve God, meaning emotionally, without Yediyas Hashem, just like what you imagine God is, simply because you heard it from a Rebbe or somebody else, but you haven't internalized and understood it logically, uh, rationally. Drama says, <laughs> right? So, if, to use simple language, suppose they tell you God is this man 
sitting on a big throne upstairs and giving out goodies and baddies, you know, rewards and punishment, sending lightning bolts out this way and the other. And a person believes that because he heard some teacher, Rebbe, or whatever say that, the Renan book, or Sefer, and, or Tanakh. And now he builds this picture in his mind. And now he starts saying like this, and I'm going to be Mizdavek with this picture of what Hashem is, because that's who God is. And Yom Ambalayli is going around saying, I'm thinking about Hashem, I'm loving Hashem, this, that, and the other. But, but this Hashem, this God, is an old man sitting on a throne somewhere upstairs, you know, above the Milky Way. And uh, so all the emotion and passion he's putting into it is, is, is wasted, because he's, he's emotionally committing himself to, to worship something that, that, that there is no man up there. <laughs> there is nobody at the top of the Milky Way. That's not what God is. You understand? Let me, let me rephrase it, put it in a different way. Think about a very passionate Christian or Muslim. Uh, the, the passion is there. And there really is. No question about it. The passion is there. The vacus, if I can use that term, is there. But they're worshipping something that doesn't exist. <laughs> so it doesn't do any good. That's a famous marshal elsewhere in the Murder of where he says God is like the king in the castle, but some people are simply walking in the wrong direction away from the castle, and even though they're very committed to finding the castle, they're simply going in the wrong direction. And the Pasig, he backs it up with this, he says, Ata, uh, what do you call it? Ata, Chino Merlona Moshe Rabbeinu. It says, I guess, E.F. Shalavodis Hashem Lelo Yidi also. You can't serve Hashem passionately without knowing what God is. Vehi ha'avona b'seichel, Ali de hispononus m'maisi Hashem, v'lachachas philosophios, and for that, you need uh, intellectual and philosophy, right? At the basic level, to burn out the wrong ideas of what you think God is, right? You need basic philosophy at one-on-one. And that's what Moshe says, which means, First, you have to have das, to understand what God is, what God is, to the degree that a person is able to do that, of course. Then you say, that later in this week's parsha comes the Shema, where you say the love of Hashem and all that. So your Ava can, uh, can only be according to what your Masik from God, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's just interesting to me, the motion deploys all these languages that we see are so pregnant with meaning, in this week's Parsha of Aschanan, and I would suggest, at least when I'm sitting here this morning, the Moshe is doing this on the impact of emotion that he himself has. Because he said, Aschanan, he was very bitter at the uh, the ingratitude. And so he's saying, you have to cultivate uh, gratitude, you have to cultivate dvekas, but you have to do it after you, you have made it, once you understand what God is. The number one problem, as I understand it, that the Jews have in the biblical period after the time they entered Israel and the time of Yeshua, after the death of Yeshua, the number one problem is precisely that they didn't know what God is. Because the big popular religion that pops up eventually, if you read through the Tanakh, is the Eglazov. Right? From the time from Yeram ben Nevot forward, and, which was the robe of Klaus robe, and possibly the Pesel Micha even earlier. Now, what's Pshat Eglazov? You know, the Eglazov is a to you, is is a mis- misguided form of Judaism. In other words, in their mind, however they did it, they thought this a kind of Judaism. Meaning, 
to them, the Egel Azov, in some way, and I don't know exactly how, is God. In some fashion. It's hard for us to get back in their minds. But, you know, in fashion. That's what the Mepharshim even say. It's supposed to be an intermediary, supposed to be a halfway house, a way of, of attracting divine influence. They saw it as something sacred. You understand? Now they were wrong. They were violating what Rambam says, They didn't do their work to understand that there's no images and no uh, you know, intermediaries and things like that. And they didn't do the work of Atarisodas, and therefore they messed up. And this mess up led to Tishabab. Yes, they were Tishabab days, tenth of up. This led to the Corbin because of their false uh, theological ideas. Which means if you get the wrong idea, then all the energy that you put into it, and believe me, the Jews were plenty energetic in worshiping the golden calf and these other things later on. It was just the wrong thing to do. We have a famous passage by the prophet. By the time this process of theological decline reached its full uh, development, they had a thing, oh, uh, you know, if you shecht your son, you get to kiss the golden calf. Somehow or other, somehow or other, they were able to include human sacrifice within Judaism. They really did. Nobody says they weren't passionate about their religious beliefs in the time of the Bais Rishon. They just were the wrong beliefs. <laughs> you see? So, uh, here you have Moshe warning about this uh, repeatedly, in you know, all, all kinds of situations, and uh, he's using this as sort of the buttressing of the gratitude. So, once you know what God is, and God is defined, among other things, the one who took you out of Egypt, then Shomer Siyamashavas, in order to keep it. And the reason I'm mentioning this is, here we have a wonderful example at least to my mind, uh, this is what I think. I could be wrong with this, what I think. To my mind, of Mosheism in the Chumash. You understand? Here's Moshe who is living there and talking to these people, saying they know better than we do. And here he's very passionate about the, them getting passion right. He wants them to be passionate. He wants them to say, Atem Hashem But he wants to do on the base of Atarei Sladas. Once you have the Das, then uh, then comes the passion. The passion expresses itself, particularly in the area of gratitude. And that's why he says, Shamrazi Mashavas. And I, I, in my understanding, he's like hinting to them. If Shabbos is all about gratitude, how about a little gratitude, you know, for yours truly, who got you guys out of all these uh, uh, problems? Maybe if you think about Shabbos in these terms, maybe you will be moved to change your apathy and start to pray for me and I'll be able to get into Israel. Now, it didn't happen. Right? It didn't happen, which is tragic. But it's an example, to my mind, of the human element that you can find located in the text of the Chumash. Anyway, that's a, that's a thought that I had today. I wish everybody a good Shabbos, Shabbos Nachmu, and uh, once again, I'm grateful to, the, to uh, Dr. Levisol for sponsoring, and with that, I bid you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.